0: Hi, this is Prasad Vadlamani. I work as a director of data science and analytics at CDW, and you're listening to Experiencing Data with Brian T. O'Neill.
1: Experiencing Data explores how product managers, analytics leaders, data scientists, and executives are looking at design and user experience as a way to make their custom enterprise data products and analytics applications more useful, usable, and valuable. And now, here's your host, the founder and principal of Designing for Analytics, Brian O'Neill. Welcome back to Experiencing Data. This is Brian T. O'Neill. Today, I have my pal Prasad Vadlamani from CDW on the line. How's it going, Prasad? Going great, Brian. How are you? I'm good. I'm really interested in in talking to you today about... We're going to talk about data products we're going to talk about integrating design and designers with data science and analytics so you're the director of data science and analytics at cdw we met at my seminar recently and one thing that you mentioned that's different for a lot of maybe not so much with digital natives but with data science teams and analytics teams they don't have designers on the teams you do fairly uncommon so tell me a little bit about where you first got exposed to designers and how do you use design and and product in the context of the work you do?
0: Absolutely. So, you know, I came across this special group of talent called designers maybe four or five years ago when it was talked more about human-centered design and we were using a specialist designer in our team to help with our story building data storytelling and not just about visuals but like trying to understand the empathy aspect of it like why you are building something for a particular pain point who is the end user going to be you know, what is the persona of the end user? You know, we used to go through that whole exercise with her while we are trying to do this data storytelling. Right. But it was more of a we build the product. Now let us please help us tell the story. That's how I got introduced to the designer uh, aspect of it. But then last year when I joined CDW, you know, this is a new enterprise AI team about two plus years right now. I mean, there was a limited scope of data science work that needs to be done uh, here. So probably there is one or two products built around that. But when we were to scale, you know, and try to give this particular outcome value to the whole corporation, then it has to lead with uh, design a designer in the front talking to a human, the end user, right? So we did not start off saying that we need designers in the team, right? We did not say that we need to specifically hire designers into the team, but we have some business analysts and data analysts who are expert in understanding the empathy and understanding how the end product should look like and then we started like you know some of them are trained as designers and then we started bringing in designers to help us navigate from the beginning to the launch and post-launch in your design seminar you make it a very salient point that the launch is not the end of it; it is the beginning of it right so that design aspect of it is extremely important in the product management culture right? Because, you know, the difference between a project and product is project has a definitive timeline, a beginning and an end, whereas a product, there is no end. Like it actually begins when you actually release a product, right? And the designer is that competency that's going to keep the product alive and relevant for a much longer time within the organization. So that's how, you know, that's the nature of design work that we have in, in our organization.
1: Got it. Got it. You're doing a lot of machine learning and AI work, as I recall there, is the way you integrate the practice of design or the, the designers in that work, is it different than how you would do it with traditional analytics, you know, historical descriptive analytics, or, or is it more or less the same and it doesn't really matter what the backend technology will be?
0: No, if it is purely like 10 years ago when we were building dashboards and now when we are building data products, The designers are the ones who are actually making the biggest difference. So I I wouldn't say it is anything traditional. It is truly groundbreaking, right? I mean, these are probably aspects considered by other product groups, like in the consumer group, like where you have to do worry about is the perfect packaging done. Does it make, you know, the ruffling of the noise that, the, you know, they they consider all these things, right? Because it's it's a tangible product that you're putting in in the hands of humans, whereas these data products you're putting in the hands of humans who are consuming it through either through their smart devices or you know mouse clicks, right? So I think definitely this designer element now. For me, I feel it's a new trend, but it's very essential in order to have a great data product, right? And what we do is not dashboards. What we do is not reports, right? What we actually do is data products. That means the data will tell them a story with each and every screen that is painting in front of them. And for that, designers are an absolute must.
1: Got it. The um, This uh, product versus design thing. I remember on one of our conversations, you, you said that there's a lot of confusion about these roles. Can you talk a little bit about if you do have dedicated product or data product managers versus designers, is that confusion between them or is that confusion between you and them? Can you talk a little bit about where the lines are gray? And they're, they are gray, in my opinion, most of the time, and they're kind of tied at the hip. I always see those two as a pair, really a trio with with engineering or a technical lead, I, the power trio, as I call it. But tell me a little about this from your perspective.
0: That's a great question I remember asking you during our seminar, you know, because the terminologies that people use, you know, both of them use these terminologies. So it's very easy to get confused, like, you know, is a product manager and designer are the same. It could be in certain aspects of product development right? But the question is who leads first? Is it the designer first or is the product manager first? The answer is both of them has to do, right? And the thing is, you know, I go back to, you know, how to build an enterprise AI team. Like what are the skills needed in a team in order to make, build, get, create data products and to enable them? It requires everybody, right? It requires designers, it requires product managers, it requires data engineers, it requires data analysts or business analysts, it requires quality engineers, it requires application developers, you know, to take it into front-end, you know, you need everybody in there, right? So, the thing is if you have a product manager and not a designer most likely the product manager and the business analysts are doing the work of a designer if you don't have a product manager but you just have a designer designer is probably doing the work of a product manager right so it's basically the empathy aspect that i this is not something i'm just letting it go but i'm letting it lose but at least at the same time i'm going to make sure it is going where i want to go the product right if you are talking about launch The biggest thing I think about is a space launch, you know, it's not a space launch, right? It's basically, I I look at it as a long, tethered kite flying in, in the sky, more than a space launch, right? Because these are our data products and you have to constantly navigate choppy winds and things like that. You need to make sure that, you know, you are, how the business is is moving, the kite also should be moving towards that, the product should manage, right? So I feel like there is a confusion, but the more I work with the designers, I work with product managers, the blurred lines become more and more clearer, right? This is a question a designer can help you, right? Product managers should do research, but the designer can help the product manager do better research. Right? They will be able to say, okay, this is the type of question that needs to ask. You know, this is how you should ask. Instead of leading them, you should make them answer the actual question that is intended, right? So those kind of research things, a designer can help product manager there. A product manager can lay down the plans of enablement, product enablement plan from a product marketing hat, and say, okay, this is what I want to do. Can you help me design the process of enablement also, right? as you have made it pretty clear in your seminar, design is not just designing products. Design is about managing each stage of product development, including product enablement, right? The communication around it, the collaboration around it, the development of it, the quality of it, each of it should be considered from a design point of view. That's where I I was able to differentiate the two different roles.
1: Talk to me about the challenges that you see sometimes maybe within your team or that you've seen in past experiences between data scientists working with product and or design UX people. Where do things sometimes break down? The way I often see it is a lot of times I'll say there's a correlation between the more education you have in technical background, particularly in statistics, math, et cetera, the more you don't want to have anything to do with the downstream outcome part. And you just want to work on the modeling and all this part. And the less you have of that, and you have a more broader skill set, those data experts tend to fit in better, I guess I would say, at least naturally. It doesn't mean you can't correct for that a bit. And sometimes you do need technical people just doing technical work because it's hard. Some of this work is really difficult and we need that. How do you manage that relationship? Are you having challenges with that? If you're not, that's a great. Can you maybe talk about how you make sure there aren't those challenges? How do you do it?
0: I have to say, yes, I do have those challenges, but it goes both ways. Like, you know, where you said that the extremely technical people, they just want to do what they want to do and everything else needs to be supported, right? So. I'll give you like maybe five, six years ago when we were building these data products, you know, little bit of data science, but more of uh, analytics. Back then, yes, you know, the the technology people were like, let me just build what I'm building and, and you know, you take care of everything. Right? Right. Make it right. look nice. Make it look yeah. nice. Right. <laughs> I, I even remember, like, we built these dashboards and then my our, our marketing VP, our she said, I want this year to be the year of beautiful, dashboards, right? So I didn't understand what she mean by that, but now I get it. She wants it to be a, a something that she can go and place it in hands of human users, right? She's talking about the design. She wanted us to design something really nice, right? But that's probably five, six years ago. And then we have this constant struggle, like, you know, okay, just let me do my thing, you know, don't bother with me anything else. But in, in recent times, I'm actually, you know, there's a lot of, data science education happening out there and there are some good data scientists who understands the uh, the value of understanding business right so for those folks it is also possible that you know as a data scientist you are you might be focusing too much on business and less on the model also it is possible right you know so you know, I've seen that problem also. Like, you know, when the, a, a classic case of it is a a, a team of a couple of data scientists might have built a product and they definitely probably would have spoken to some end users. And based on that, their feedback, they might have built a product, a great MVP. Releasing the MVP into the next mode, right, would require that soft glove approach of a designer and a product manager to come into picture. At that point, when you are introducing these new players into the team, you will find some kind of hesitancy. Like, you know, why am I not doing a good enough job speaking to the business? Like, why should we have these other players come into picture? So you have to manage those questions also. So I've seen both aspects, but it is a constant push and pull, right? It's never black and white right in our talks you know there are these captive data science teams in large enterprise companies like ours and then there is um, small data science in small companies and there is also product people right They're done by startups Right? So we say, think of ourselves as a startup, right? Yes, at this moment, you should focus on core competency, but you still need to have a little bit of a skill outside of the competency, because we are playing as if we are a startup kind of mindset, right? When you have that, a data scientist is mostly data scientist, but is partially designer, partly engineer, partly product manager, et cetera, and vice versa. So the product managers cannot be purely business product managers. We need some them to be technical also. Designers should should know how analytics products are used and what is the value analytic products bring to the companies, right? If they're purely non-data, if, if they haven't done any data product design in the past, you know that's a skill that can be picked up, but that'll be some level learning that they need to do, right? Same like how people ask me, what is the difference between a business analyst and a data analyst, right? It There are stark differences, but when you are working in a data, ta- data organization like mine, they are more or less the same, right? So it can, you know, each and every role will have different definition once you put data tag on top of it.
1: Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I think that core idea of the team has a shared understanding of what the outcome is that we want. And then it's management's job to make sure that all the work is getting done. Even if it's not your core competency, you might have to wear different hats. And obviously this is classic startup mode, right? Which is like, oh, we have spilled coffee. Someone needs to clean up the coffee, even if your title is COO, <laughs> you know, and then over time you hire more specialists and there's a little bit less of that cross pollination. But I do think design is everyone's job because a lot of what we're doing is facilitating the work of others. We're bringing people together to work on the solution together, as opposed to it's one person's competency to just do that stuff. It doesn't work. The tech, especially with this kind of stuff, we don't even know what's possible sometimes, especially with machine learning and with the data sets. like We kind of know what the objective is but we don't know if the data can support any of that yet and the cakes we need to try building the recipes we don't know until we land on one what might be possible so it's a very iterative process there and and so it's very gray as you said it's a great way to put it i think design is gray so i'm i'm with you there on all of that i did want to ask you 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 made a distinction earlier about ui less product design no interfaces But there is an experience, there is a human experience, whether it's an API endpoint or whatever it may be. Can you talk about this idea of designing something that doesn't have screens or it doesn't have, you know, charts and the things that we maybe default to when we think about interfaces, data visualization, et cetera? Talk to me about that, designing that kind of data product.
0: Yes, this is an interesting challenge. one of the products uh, that we have is an intelligent process automation product, right? Basically, it looks at the various activities and communication collaboration that happens within our company. And then we intelligently... Try to do some non sales related tasks of our account managers, right? And that is a big pain point. Like, you know, if you ask a lot of account managers, like maybe 40 or 50% of their time is actually selling, and another 50% of or rest of it is about documenting the, the activity itself, right? And then there will be about order taking and, you know, m- more mundane tasks. So, we have some ipa uh, applications right there right so but the the output of it is it's just a api call into the system of records where our sellers are used to right so we cannot design anything visual out there so and that has uh, that is a challenge right Be- the, because of that we are not able to ask them to come to one particular application or one particular to screen to see like, hey, what this is all the tasks that we have done for you, but we have to, we have, you know, collaborated with the that particular application team and say, can these are API calls and these are the tasks that have been, you know, completed for them? Can you show them? But they still need to go to that particular screen and look at it, right? And for a long time, they didn't know what's happening right? Because we keep creating uh, those tasks, uh, doing the tasks for them. They need to go and check it and release it. But that particular application where they're consuming it, it's not refreshing because it refreshes every 10, 10 minutes or 15 minutes or something like that. But what we are doing it like on the fly right? So we really had to go understand what the problem thing. And then we we were able to have some kind of solution to that. But that was only a partial solution. It's still something that we don't have control over the visuals. So what we have done is we are sending these emails to these account managers saying that, hey, by the way, we have done this job for you, right? So when we do that, we were sending an email to them, right? So now we said, okay, wait, this communication is our is our is our product now right because they can't see anything else and they can only see the email of it how can we make it look like the product how do we make sure that we get the maximum attention possible from them make them read it make them understand it and also then subsequently go and appreciate or like take action on the task that we have created for them so now it's like a static product but it's a dynamic Behind the scene, it's a lot of AI. That's probably the biggest AI complicated models that we have, but that's the one with. We- which has the least uh, human visuals, right? So that's the challenge that we were, uh, I, I, I can't say that I've completely solved it, but that's where we have focused and we are we are putting more and more efforts and we are getting much bigger appreciation because of those efforts, right? We want to do dynamic emailing. We want to get feedback directly from the email because there's no product for us to expect feedback from. And we can't. they can't always go back and support at whatever. They won't send emails, you know, if you have to send feedback, Right. They're not going to go open their or Outbook mail, mailbox and send an email. You know, maybe 10% of them will give feedback. But with this kind of new interface that we are putting them in front of them, we are getting more feedback, right? And the other thing is probably thousands of sellers have this capability enabled already, but many of them doesn't even know. Why? Because there is no visuals in front of them, right? So this, these are the challenges that we are facing and we are trying to solve.
1: So one thing I want to reemphasize about what you're doing when you're talking about no visuals here and design is that when we think about user experience, especially in the context of B2B and enterprise design, you know, I'm a big champion of kind of the invisible interface, the, the design that we don't even notice is happening to us. And in this case, we're just getting an email, which, which maybe sounds plain and boring, but if it's the right information at the right time and an emphasis on the time, That the temporal part of design, when do they need this information or this automation or whatever you're doing, that's really important stuff. And if you can take away a lot of the tactical work the user had to do and use intelligence to do that kind of work, you may end up with a lot less screens. But packaging that up into an essentially invisible interface that doesn't feel like something new I have to go learn that can be really valuable. And that very much is a design exercise there, it's just low on user interface and it's high on user experience if you do it right. So I think that's a great framing that you talked about here with this kind of invisible or no UI component here. And then you can iterate on these emails and you know, you're, you have a rather low overhead in terms of the the UI piece actually to work on. So. Uh, I think the notifications is a great, it's another touch point, what we call it a service touch point or something in the user experience language, but that's very much a part of uh, design as well. So talk to me about the model development, et cetera. This stuff can take a long time to get right. And then it's like, what's the new fire, right? All of a sudden, like last year's thing and you wanted to do this big strategic initiative and like by the time you're ready to roll something out, it's like new fire, you know, this is the new thing now. How do you manage this at CDW? I mean, you guys are a pretty big digital company, at least I think of you guys as a digital company. How do you manage that when you know that these things are are gonna be large initiatives and the business priorities are changing and you know what that runway is that's required to get something out? How do you manage that? Is is it different than traditional enterprise software when we're talking about machine learning and AI? Sure. T- talk to the, me about that.
0: In In this world, if you build, they will come absolutely doesn't work, <laughs> right? <laughs> it doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, full stop. Full stop. Right? It, it's it's yeah. not their uh, utilitarian uh, product, right? Th- yeah, this, that's Hollywood. This man. is uh, this is value added <laughs> right? And value add is much harder to actually even build and also enable, right? Because it's not at st- table stakes. They know that you know th- this. They have to do, but they don't need to use the products that we build because some, some sellers or marketers might be rock stars and they probably have a method to their madness and they get it done, get the work done. So they don't need to use our products. But the ability to show the value of why our products are going to be beneficial to them have to start with their pain point, right? So if if you go and look at, you know, primarily at, at CDW, we are, um, Seller-focused uh, uh, organization, right? Sales focusing, right? How can we make seller experience better? How can we make uh, customer experience better? These are the only two things, right? So when you are trying to build it, and if you go, what are the AI use cases on uh, for a seller? If you go to Gartner or any other of those things, there are literally 150 ideas out there, right? So we we can't. It's not like we go pick like one, two, three, four out the 150 list and go build it. We ca- we can't do that right? So we have to start with the sellers. What is your pain point? And then come up with a use case that will solve that particular pain point. What, um, s- uh, spend time with them to understand it. Now you're empathizing with them. This is one of the f- main point of your design, right? Like empathy. And where you are saying, okay, I understand that. So is this... Can I give you a solution or not? Right. Sometimes they just want to talk about it. Maybe they don't really need a solution for it. Right. But try to find something that they that is a painful to them, and then you are trying to provide a solution to that. Get a buy-in for it. Then you go against as if you know this is a user. If I have a product, if I put it in in, in hand in your hands, how should it be? right? How often can I communicate with you? How much availability do you have to collaborate with us? You know, all these things should be considered. And then once you walk them along with us in in the journey, it becomes their idea. It becomes their product, right? And again, we have 3,000 plus sellers. We don't go about saying that, hey, I'm building product for all 3,000 people. I'm only building product for three people at a time it might take me a thousand uh, attempts to get to 3000 people but we are building to three or four people at a time and then we listen to that and then we'll get the feedback and and then we go back and saying you this th- set of three people you have given us four different ideas but it looks like these two ideas are the most common thing so can we go about it and then bring the 3 plus 3 times 3 nine people together and we build for those people and then focus group and then we release it to the their managers first or their leadership first and then once we get their buy-in and their feedback and then we go to the sellers across those nine people right so like it's not we spoke to three people and we're going to give it to everybody right so at cdw we have multiple segments we have multiple regions right we have few countries so we go Segment by segment, region by region, asking to them and building just for them and releasing for them, and then add another set group of people, another group of people. Doing that, you know, we are not, as you said, you know, they are paid, already paid to use our products, right? So there is no uh, money exchange out there other than the initial investment and the constant investment in building the products. But we tell them upfront that they are paying for it with their time, which is much more valuable, right? As, than any subscription costs. So we take that very seriously. So we we want, like even before we sent out a survey, we go through a, a lot of effort in making sure that we are asking the minimum important questions, right? You don't need to ask them 20 questions. Can we distill it to maybe three? Can can we distill it to two, whatever, right? So, and and come up with a really good survey model and then take that answers, distillate, that's part of the research and then go and build something. So it's, it's a very iterative process and it's never ending, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Do you do like user experience-driven qualitative interviews? So one-on-one type of sessions or two-on-one sessions, is that a, like an ongoing practice or is it just kind of ad hoc as needed? Like, can you talk about that it's research? Ongoing with the customers
0: it's it's ongoing. We are not at the scale uh, where we are trying we are making deployments like on you know other companies, they make like hundred deployments a day or something like that. We are not there yet, right? We're not there yet. we We want to do one major release a quarter and maybe a couple of minor release per quarter. for each and every release, that means that we have to speak to people, right? so but we have multiple products. In our roadmap, in our pipeline, in, in our in our catalog, so at any point of time there is some product that is going to release every month. That means uh, three months before that we are talking to users specifically about that particular feature or that particular re, uh, release. So it's a it's an ongoing uh, process. So the product management team is really busy. The designers are really busy, and then our analysts they are working on multiple products. Our data scientists are working on products. Some of the products are not about data science but some of the products are about data science we will say okay this is a data science heavy so let the data science team be the delivery leads but this is more of analytics product so let the analytics for people take the lead so we we differentiate between those two in your previous question you talked to me about ml model development specifically and my answer was not to that point that so just to go back on that the models are just a part of the puzzle Right? It's just like how in a traditional software engineering development organization, the software written is probably only ten percent of the effort. Right? So if you consider model development is software development, you know, if you want it to run seamlessly, you have to have software practices in in place. So I would say model development is less than ten percent. Right? Everything else that you take to the end user is 90% of it is taken to the user, right? That particular piece of software. So I will say model is only 5% of the the effort. So like we have to focus on making sure that model is absolutely correct and valid and we do all quality on it, but in order to push it out, it takes a village. Does that answer?
1: Yeah. And I think what you just said is not... It's not a given for a lot of people, especially, I, I think, the really, we'll call them traditional data scientists. Okay. The model is the 80% yeah. in their head. And so, what you just said, <laughs> I think you should state that again. <laughs> To yeah. emphasize it, because I, mean, I very I, much agree know, with to it. To
0: emphasize it, you know, I would say model would be 5% of the total effort of taking a good product to to the end user. It's less than even taking a regular software product to the end user because, the you know, it, it that's how much work it takes.
1: There's a lot of other stuff that goes into it. The uh, one thing we, when we talked about doing this, this episode, I know you were working on externalizing some of these data products. So you're working a lot for your seller market, et cetera. I know you have some initiatives. I know you can't talk about some of it totally in the open, but I wanted to broadly understand what's different when we start building stuff, not for our colleagues and employees or vendors or partners, but we're pushing it outside like something we wanna get paid for, a revenue generating SaaS or something along these lines that uses data. Can you talk about that process? Is it the same? Is it different? What needs to adjust in the culture of how you guys create those things? Absolutely.
0: You know, go to market, to the external market, taking our data products out, I think it's a different challenge than starting out to build a product for our external customers by itself, right? So, but at the same time, we always go with customer zero approach as in we are the first customer of our products so any product that we build we want to build it in such a way that at any point of time we want to take it outside right so if you if you you know if you go and see some of the notices that C W says, we talk about, you know, the capabilities, a capabilities that we give to our sellers, right? So naturally these things, uh, you know, our customers, our vendors, our partners, they ask about it and we explain them what we do. And then they're interested in saying, can we have it, right? They're willing to buy it, right? So like you asked me, like, you know, not just about technical, but the non-technical aspects of it is, the first thing is, you know, when you have when you're building a product for yourself you have these people that you can talk to that you can develop for right? Whereas the customers, we don't even know who they are, right? So it, that itself, the research aspects of it is, are completely different. You know, finding the, the thousand prospects. That this is a newsletter that, that you sent very recently. And the very first point was that, like the, finding the thousand, pro, the thousand prospects as opposed to 20 users. So, you know, that's a big challenge. The other thing is when even when our customers are, in, they say, can you give this product to us? We'll pay for it you don't even know how much the price should be. Is it, It should it be $1,000 per year or is it $10 per month per user, right? I, I, you know, I, we don't know, right? The other thing is the biggest difference in, in between internal product and external product is if you feel like there are some features of that particular product that are not beneficial anymore or not use, used as much, I can shut it down, right? But the moment you release that out, you can never shut it down. Even if it is only one paying customer paying your dollar, you still have to maintain it until you know the stipulated time, and then you you need to talk to them and you know figure out a way to say hey, this is not working out you know, you see some small companies going down under, right? So we don't want to make that kind of mistake because now it's a large company releasing a product for others. So these are the considerations that we have to take into view. The other thing is, you know, where did we build it? Is it built on the, you know, on your native servers or is it built on the cloud? Is it, Uh, Specifically, your data that's getting in there, you know, did you build the pipelines, data pipelines uh, uh, nimble enough that it can take any data from anywhere? You know, these are the technical considerations. But, you know, the challenges go from pricing to marketing to, you know, shrink wrapping it. And also, how do you have the sales, you know, now how will you sell it? How, you know, yeah, it is okay. You might be able to sell it to five customers, but the space that we are in, if you are not going from 10 customers to 100 and 100 to 1,000 every year, you will go under right because there is so much money that needs to be spent in in marketing and selling enterprise software that again it you know the budget wise again the model development will only be 5% of the budget so do you have that kind of you know budget to to do that right so that's the uh, to the point of sale but post sale how how does the customer success Teamwork, work like, right? Will this product be part of their business system or will they be part of an external tertiary ecosystem? So that depends on how much support the client will be able to do for the product itself. Do you need to support it from outside or do you need to have now a service organization to support this particular product for your client? So there are a lot of things that you need to consider before you take these products outside. And, and these are the things that we are considering right now. And we work with some partners to identify a GTM strategy with some customers to identify which features are most important because we cannot take all the features that we have outside. You know, it will probably be a skinnier product when we first take it out to, to a customer. Right. So, yeah, a lot of things to
1: consider. Right. Yeah, that's just, I mean, and this is precisely for those that don't come from software. This is why we have product managers. And this is the work that they do with, you know, initial positioning, pricing, the marketing strategy, go to market, all of that, not just the, you know, the product part and prioritizing, you know, feature development and and all that kind of stuff. So it is a whole nother beast for sure to do that. And the challenges can be different. So thanks for for sharing that. You've had a lot of broad experiences here working with data, obviously, and, and machine learning and AI and, and designers and product people and engineers and all of this, is there any big lesson that you've learned that you want to share something that you've maybe have changed at CDW, like, you know, new role, I'm not doing that again, I'm, I'm not going to go, I'm doing it a new way this time, anything that's like change that you can think about that has made a big difference for you and being successful with data product development?
0: Yeah, one thing we are not doing is, you know, we don't use the terms like dashboards or reporting here, you know, because that's not what we are doing, right? I mean, in previous jobs or things, you know, people will say, hey, can I have the dashboard? Can I have the report or something like that? It's it's a static, you know, it it gives a very, it'll change when I go there kind of concept, right? But once we have moved into the product management, part of it, like we're gonna manage this like a product, I, I would never want to go back to the project aspect. You know, that's definitely there. The other aspect also, like, you know, start with the design. You know, we have, I, in the past, we have built uh, some products, I have, by only speaking to the business liaison person, but not actually the end user, right? There is always this this lost in translation right because the end user might say i want this particular pain point business user understood the pain point as slightly different but by the time it got to you 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 there's a third third variant out of it the solution that you would jump into solution right away because you know that that's a pain point that must be fixed because it came from some you know some high level business strategist asking you to do something we take a very slow approach right now right and the other thing that we are also considering, you know, thinking of is, do the products that we build, does it have an expiry date, right? Anything that's put in your hand comes with a manufacture date and say three years of expiry, or it comes with the expiry date and saying that, hey, this is the best use by, right? Whatever, right? So similarly, the products that we build, we are building for the pain points of the current users right the current users in companies like cdw are both digital natives and also non natives right and people who are in the transition so the pain points that we might be solving are mostly say saying for the non digitals right i mean as it, it may be not but let's say we are doing that but over a period of time if there are more and more digitals coming in digital natives coming in then basically this pain point doesn't even exist right so like how do you consider when you approach the executive leadership and asking for money, right? We don't, we don't want to say like, oh, we are building this application that is going to last for 20 years, right? Yes, the name of it might be there, but the features of it might be completely different, right? Similarly, the, the same product that is running on XYZ technology stack might need to go to a different technology stack, which is going to do things 10 times faster, and that is part of it. Like be prepared to write to, to the check to us in two or three years, because we will definitely move from this platform to another platform, right? So having that kind of expiry debt mentality, I think it keeps us fresh, right? Instead of saying that I'm going to build something that's going to last forever, because nobody's going to use anything forever, right? So that's something that I've definitely understood that you know, in order to keep things fresh and also novel.
1: Is that is that like an expectation that you set? That's really interesting framing to kind of set that up at the beginning. Like, yes, we can do this. Yes, we can make that change for the next two years. This will work, et cetera, et cetera. And then after that, we'll need are you kind of planting those seeds early with the business so they understand you don't get 20 years of life out of this one initiative? Is that is that kind of what you're trying to seed early?
0: If it, it, no, it it won't be like the ultimatum or a dictum. Or, no, not or like an ultimatum, that, but, that, yeah, but setting right. expectation. But it will be yeah, it'll be an expectation, right? Yeah, yeah we do, right? We'll say you know f- you know um, I I can't tell you, but there is a feature that we built in in the IPA product, you know, within our data science team or our team, we know that feature can be taken away if a particular CRM that we we might change or whatever come, it might come with that feature. That means this feature doesn't need to be here at all. So we need to be taking it away, right? So by having that kind of understanding ahead of time, it could be six months, it could be two years, three years, but eventually it'll be gone, right? The the surprising thing about, about corporate also is the products that you build that, that you think are going to be temporary are the ones that are going to be there for the longest <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so the band-aid solutions are going to be there for 12 15 years but the nice shiny like the perfect solutions will be kicked out in two years right so because there is disruption happening in you know you don't see dis- disruption in band-aid but you see the disruption in MRA machines right so same thing so you have to be very uh, you know open about that and you know you have have to communicate to your upper leadership you have to communicate your stakeholders you have to communicate your team that be prepared that the things that you're working on right now in two years it won't be there but you might need to build something else to replace it and the other thing also from a expiry point of view from a product is i believe that products will have there's only so many features that you can pack into it right so when you want to add a feature my challenge is consider it as a real estate what feature are we taking out right yeah, you might end up getting some bad feedback some, from few users in favor of getting, building something for a larger set of users who have a bigger pain point to solve. So I think this whole thing is around that uh, expiry date concept.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I understand. I think that's a, a great place to leave it, but I wanna give people a chance to follow you. Are you on LinkedIn or Twitter or like, where, where can people follow your work and, and connect up with you?
0: I, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, You can uh, look up on, um, you know, my my profile, Prasad Vadlamani, CDW. I think my tag is Coach P. I I got it a long time back, but you can reach me.
1: Great. Awesome. I will definitely uh, put that link in the show notes. And Prasad, it's been great to catch up with you. And and I wish you guys really well, especially with that new uh, external facing product you guys are working on over there. And best of luck. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Experiencing Data with Brian O'Neill. If you did enjoy it, please consider sharing it with the hashtag ExperiencingData. To get future podcast updates or to subscribe to Brian's mailing list, where he shares his insights on designing valuable enterprise data products and applications, visit DesigningForAnalytics.com podcast.